please take out your Bibles and open them up with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. You know, there's, it's, it's not hard to, as, as Christians, as believers, and, we, and as we've turned the page in chapter 12 of Romans, as we've talked about, Paul is addressing and speaking directly to Christians, to believers. He addresses us as brethren in verse 1 of chapter 12. And as Christians, we would, we would all agree, would we not, that there is one word that is to describe us as Christians, right? What is that word? Okay. That word is love, right? Right? Jesus said, they'll know that you belong to me because of your love. Yes, we are blessed. <laughs> we are forgiven. Amen. All of those things. But love. Love. And, you know, it's interesting, though, because in English, we have this one word that is way overused, right? You know, I, 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 love, I love football. I love pizza. I love, you know, all this. We just recently, my, my daughter, we just adopted a, a little puppy from the rescue shelter. His name is Harley. He's a mutt. He's the cutest thing. And I can't tell you how many times my daughter says every day, oh, I just love Harley. You know, I mean, the, the problem with the fact that we use that word just for, for almost everything that we kind of just, even like a little, <laughs> is that it loses, it loses the meaning. And in more ancient languages, and even some still around today, there's, there's more than one word for love. And the, the New Testament was written originally in the Greek language, and there are many words for love. And the love that is used to describe what we are to have as Christians is the word agape, right? I mean, we're not telling you guys anything that you don't know. <laughs> Agape love, it speaks of a love that is unconditional. It speaks of a, of a love that is selfless. It's there, there's, there's nothing attached to it that says, okay, I will give you some of this as long as I'm getting something in return. And because of that, it was a word that was used in secular Greek, but it was used very sparingly. And almost in a derogatory manner, because when it was used, it meant somebody who was weak. But Christianity embraced that word to say this is the love that is to describe us because it is the love that God shows us, right? And it is the love that God is in his very essence, unconditional. It is, it is sacrificial, selfless. And because of all of those things for us, it's also supernatural. It's not something that we can muster up on our own because any type of love that we kind of that we try to generate within ourselves there's always <laughs> there's always a little string attached there's something like the whole what's in it for me part and that's that that flies in the face of what agape truly stands for where you are there in romans keep your finger there but turn over a couple of pages the, the book immediately following romans is first corinthians First Corinthians 13, and I find it interesting if you did the little homework I gave you last week in Romans 12 last week, we looked at the spiritual gifts, and I mentioned that Paul also addresses those in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Well, 13 is kind of sandwiched in between 12 and 14 and interestingly placed, as we will see as we look through this a little bit more. But here in, in 
1 Corinthians 13, we, we see love, agape love, defined. And if we can even back up a verse, because again, Paul's speaking of the spiritual gifts. He says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And notice he says, and I show you a still more excellent way. All of the gifts, all of those types of things, yes, that we use to minister and bless one another. He says, but there's something that is more excellent than all of that. And there was no chapter break when he wrote this. He goes immediately after he says a more excellent way. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, agape, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love, agape, is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act becomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape love never fails. And then he says this, jump down to verse 13. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest, the greatest of those, faith. Without faith, the Bible tells us it's impossible to please God. We are saved by grace through faith. But Paul tells us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit again, agape, true love, is the greatest of all. Now, Jesus takes that and says, even as much as to say when asked what are the, what's the greatest commandment, he said that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus spoke in Aramaic, but again, when that is translated into the Greek, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all of them that translate it use the same word agape to describe that love that we are to have towards our Heavenly Father towards Almighty God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And Jesus said that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves with that same love. And he said, he said this, all the rest of the commandments, all the rest of the law and the prophets hang on those two things. That's why this love is so, under, so important that we understand. Now, when we're going to look at today, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, and we're only going to get through a few of the verses, 9 through 13. But when we look at it as a whole over the next couple of weeks, 9 through 21, we're going to see that while 1 Corinthians 13 is love defined, if you'll allow me, Romans 12, 9 to 21 is love outlined. Paul bullet points several things here. He does not speak in, in drawing these out in complete sentences. He's just like love, bang, 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 bang. And he, he outlines it for us, and we're going to look at a few of the verses today and look at those, because here we see again what love is. We see how it is displayed. And again, as Christians, this is so important for us. Because while I said that it is the love that God is, it's the love that God shows, it's also important that we understand it's the love that God enables. It's the love that God produces in us. It can't be manufactured, but 
Let's look at verse 9. It's important that, first of all, we see love's sincerity because obviously this love can be faked. Because he says, notice, love's sincerity, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. I find it interesting that Paul doesn't say, first of all, just love. He doesn't tell us to love. Again, as Christians, speaking to us, he says, I know you've probably already got that message to love each other. I'm talking to you about making sure that that love that you have is genuine, that it's real, that it is without hypocrisy. That word that's used there, the Greek word hypocrisy, again, speaks of somebody that would be play acting and the masks that they would put on to, to play the different roles, the same actor would play multiple roles in a play, and he'd put on different masks. And that is what that is speaking, that the mask that is put on so that everybody else sees is different than what is on the inside. And that's what Paul calls us right away, that this love, agape, as it is in us, it can't be hypocritical. It has to be real. It has to be genuine. Jesus says in John 13, again, I, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. But he goes on to explain it the same thing, not hypocritically, genuinely, and he gives us the standard, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another that way, as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I don't feel that we're being stepping out of line by saying Jesus is speaking if you have genuine love for one another. Because again, he's using himself, himself his love as the example. Love's not new. It's not something that's told that we're to do new, but he gives us this new example. And Paul tells us as we look at this, and, and it, I, again, it, it, as the outline unfolds for us, we see that genuine, sincere love will, notice, abhor what is evil. The, the interesting thing about, you know, I mentioned love, that, that that's way overused as a word. So is hate, right? I mean, I, it's, it's, it's amazing to me all of the things that my kids say that they, that they hate. And it's usually around dinner time, you know. I hate Brussels sprouts, I hate green beans, I hate, you know, it's usually anything green and good for you, I hate that. But Paul uses this word here, abhor, that means an intense hatred, a loathing of evil. But notice also he says to cling to what is good. That word cling, to, to clutch, to be literally glued to, it's the same word translated in the New Testament when Jesus was speaking of the bond of a husband and wife, where leaving and cleaving, coming together, clinging to what is good. Paul takes this a little step further in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Guys, if we truly love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, this is what we are to do. Examine everything carefully. Now, do you just take those words and ponder on that for a little bit? <laughs> Examine. Closely scrutinize. Everything. Not just a couple of things that come here and there early morning in your devotion time. 
Late at night, if God happens to bring something to your remembrance, no, examine everything. How? Carefully. We are to look at the things that, that, are, that are coming into our lives, and it says that we are to cling to those things that are good, but he says that we are to abstain, completely do away with anything, any appearance of evil, anything that would be any type of form of evil. And again, the enemy, that's what he's used as a, as a, as a trick from the beginning, is the reason God says all of those things, and the reason he put this category of stuff is because he's just holding out on you. He doesn't really want you to enjoy all that you can have in life. You know, the bottom line, and we've said this many times before, and this is so important, guys, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God said, don't do these things, abstain from these things, run from these things, because if you do them, you will cause harm to yourself and others. Do these things. As he says, worship me only. Because if you're drawn away to other things, those things can't help you. Those things will only lead you to a path of destruction. He doesn't say, he doesn't say worship me only because he's got this huge ego trip. He says, worship me only because I'm almighty God. Everything else is a fake. That's why God hates sin so much. Because it harms you and I. Because it, because it causes damage and destruction to us and to others. And that is why we are to hate it too. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that the goal of his instruction, the goal of the instruction, teaching of the word of God, is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, a genuine, real faith. Love that comes from that, a pure heart. Guys, we can't purify our own hearts. That only happens through the blood of Jesus. And a good conscience. God, God gave us a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong. But our consciences can be seared. If we spend too much time and, and, and allow too much in and not carefully scrutinize the things that, that, are, that are around us, our consciences can become seared. And that is the goal of the instruction, to keep our, our conscience focused. And again, even going back to verses 1 and 2 as we looked at it together, that, that our minds be renewed because the world around us coming after us, trying to dissuade us, trying to, trying to distract us. Well, one last verse here as we look at the love, love sincerity. Again, we talked of this back when we looked at verses 1 and 2. If our faith is genuine, if our faith is real, it will affect our behavior. Our behavior will genuinely change. And the same is true with love. If, it, if the love that we have is real and is genuine, it will affect the way that we behave, that we act around each other, the way that we act towards God. John writes this in 1 John chapter 3, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Not just saying I love you, but showing you that I love you. And Paul now takes us into verse 10 where we, we move from love's sincerity and we see love's humility. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Now it's interesting, again, when you look at the original language that this was written in, devoted is the Greek word philostorgos, which takes phil, philia, 
which is where we, meaning friend, storge, family, and bringing that together. And then brotherly love, that is the Greek word Philadelphia. If you ever wondered why it's called the city of brotherly love, well, now you know. Philadelphia, that's the Greek word. One translation puts it this way. I like a couple of the ways that it's worded here. It says, let us have real warm affection for one another as between brothers. That's the, the kind of the description of the love and the, and the care that we are to have with one another. Dear friendships, closeness, but like a bond that we are brothers. Another translation says this, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. And this isn't, this isn't an illustration that isn't used elsewhere. Again, right? We're the body of Christ. We looked at that last week. But we're also called the family of God. Brothers and sisters, because we are all sons and daughters of the Most High God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I probably could get a few people to agree with me that even when it comes to family, blood family, that getting along isn't always easy. Right? Could, it even, could we even go as far as to say that loving one another sacrificially and unconditionally, even in a family unit, isn't always easy, right? But guys, when it comes to the family of God, it's also not optional. John, again, 1 John chapter 4, if you want again, John, John talks a lot about this, this agape love in the book of 1 John. But he says, if any... If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, note, not pulling any punches, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And again, that word is agape in there. Loving, we, to say that we can't, that, that I love God, but I can't stand that guy. John, very clear, again, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are deceiving yourself. Now, I, I, maybe you've had this question before. I've gotten it several times from people. It says, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to love them. Does that mean I have to like them? You know, my answer to that is, take that to prayer and see how much sleep you get before you get the answer. <laughs> Because that doesn't even make sense, if you ask me. But anyway, but we see the what? Devoted to one another in brotherly love. I mean, this outpouring of affection to one another. But notice, here's the how. He gives us, he gives us the, here's, here's how you do it, guys. Give preference. The, the root there, again, in the original language means to go first and to lead the way. And the way to look at what he says here, give preference to one another in honor, is to outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Anybody else competitive? I mean, you just can't stand losing. I mean, I just, I, I've really tried hard having children and grandchildren to, you know, let them win playing games and stuff, you know, and they're little. It's just, oh, it was one of the hardest hurdles I got over, but because I'm very competitive. And that's... <laughs> That's not, a, that's not a good quality in that. I get it. I get it. But here, guys, we're called to be competitive in outdoing one another and showing honor to each other. Philippians chapter 2, Paul puts it this way. Do nothing. How much? Nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, 
regard one another as more important than yourself. Guys, that is impossible without agape love. That, that we, are, we are wired in our sinful nature to think, hey, me first, baby. <laughs> and Paul calls us as Christians to make it our number one thing with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourself. Put others' needs above your own. The beauty of this is that, and again, I, I love in a room like this, let's, let's just think about this for a second. Let, just, just, let's put our logical thinking caps on. Would you rather look out for yourself alone, fight this whole battle all by yourself, or have everybody in here fighting for you? If we actually lived this, where I put all of your needs above mine, where all of us are doing that. Guys, we, we're so worried about, well, what about me? What about me? That's your problem. <laughs> the Bible calls us to serve one another. The Bible calls us to forgive one another. The Bible calls us to bear one another's burdens. One another, that's... <laughs> A beautiful concept. We're to lift each other up, build each other up, brighten each other up. We are to listen to each other. We're to give preference to one another. If you're to give preference to one another, what, is that, what does that assume? You are not in agreement. <laughs> that there's something that's, that, there, that, whether it might be a slight disagreement, it might be something, I like this, but you like this, so I'm going to give preference to you in that. Again, if we're all looking out for each other, this is, this is a glorious, beautiful thing. Anybody agree that some of the arguments that you have, again, well, let's just go to our family, spouses, husbands, wife. Ever, do you ever get to the end of an argument that you've even gone on for a while and realized that was really dumb? I'm going to die on that hill? <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. Are you kidding? Go ahead. Put the toilet paper over the top. I'll, I'll live with it. I, that's fine. I... <laughs> Same is true in, in the body of Christ, the family of God. Some of the things that divide us, some of the things that have caused so much problem, just so petty, so silly. Verse 11 we move on to love's intensity. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not lagging behind in diligence. I, I have a picture of this, you know, kind of walking along, you know, kind of moving along, and then all of a sudden lagging behind, kind of getting distracted, kind of coming over this direction. And, and before, you know, it wasn't an intention to fall far behind, but all of a sudden before you know it, hey, they're, there are, the group's way up there, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm back here, lagging behind in, in diligence. There, there's a temptation in, in, in all, all things of life to, to lose steam as we move along, become less passionate perhaps, to, to become lazy, complacent. It's a natural thing, and, and Paul is calling us here to fight that. Jesus says something very sobering 
in Matthew chapter 24. He says, because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. And by the way, that word love, agape. Because of lawlessness, agape love in many will grow cold. And might I propose that that's perhaps because we weren't examining everything carefully? We weren't having an intense hatred for things that are evil? But maybe letting a little bit in here, a little bit there, not clinging to what is good, clutching to it, but holding on loosely. Turn with me, keep, stay here, we're going to come back to Romans 12, but turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation, easiest book next to Genesis to find. Genesis is the first, Revelation is the last. Revelation chapter 3. And in these chapters, the first couple of chapters here in the book of Revelation, Jesus speaking to the churches of that day, but again, no doubt a message to us clearly, even in the church of today, and as when we studied through the book of Revelation, we saw that, that each one of them having a specific message for them, but also a specific message for us. But look at how he speaks to the church in Laodicea. Chapter 3, verse, verse 15, let's start there. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. A graphic picture that, that Jesus gives to the church, yes, but to individual Christians within that church. And speaking to us today, no doubt, he's saying, I wish that you were hot, on fire, intense, or cold. He'd rather have us cold, totally dead to spiritual things, because then it's not a big harm to the body overall. Because we can identify that. But he's speaking of, again, the, the, the drifting away, lagging behind, lukewarm. What is lukewarm water? It's water that has taken on the temperature of its surrounding. It's, it's become like the world around it. Instead of being intensely on fire for the Lord, becoming lukewarm. Now, a graphic illustration spits you out of my mouth. But we need to keep reading because there's, yes, that is the warning. But notice what he says. And let's jump down to verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Interesting, that word zealous that Jesus calls us to here is the same word Paul uses in verse 11 of chapter 12, fervent in spirit. Zealous, on fire, not lukewarm, but on fire, boiling over in service for the Lord, in a passionate service for the Lord. Again, genuine, not hypocritical, genuine service for the Lord, on fire. Notice what he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now that verse is used often to speak of 
the Lord's talking and coming to an unbeliever and opening the door to salvation, opening the door to the new birth, and certainly fits there. But let's look at it in context. He's talking to the church, and Laodicea is, is lukewarm and knocking on a heart. And I wonder if he's knocking on a heart here this morning that says, hey, this heart's supposed to belong to me. Will you open up and let me in? Will you repent? And, and realize that you've drifted away. Realize that you've lagged behind in diligence. You've, you've lost that, that fire that you had before, and it's just a flickering flame. And he's there. His desire today is not to, not to condemn you, not to spit you out of his mouth, but to have you come back. Fan that fire back into flame. That's his call to us. Agape love, guys, the intensity of it is to be boiling over on fire, passionately looking to serve the Lord. But with that, we move on to the next in verse 12 where it speaks of love's tenacity. Because if we are going to live all out for the Lord, as we're called to in verse 1 of chapter 12, if we are going to be on fire, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, guys, we are going to need to rejoice in hope persevere in tribulation, be devoted to prayer. These three are natural partners when it comes to life as believers. On fire for the Lord, with the, everything that is going on around us, serving him all out with everything that we have. Guys, we have to keep our eyes on the prize. We're, this isn't our home. This, we're, our home is in heaven. Our destiny is there. This, the, the suffering and the difficulty that we go through in life, as Paul tells us, this momentary light affliction is, is building up for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. And we have to keep that in mind, that hope. And the hope that we have as Christians is the absolute assurance of that thing. Because if we don't, if we lose sight of that, the momentary light affliction becomes enormously heavy because this is all we're comparing it to. But we're called this hope that we have that the Bible tells us is the anchor for our soul is that this isn't it. That's where we're going. And everything that we deal with here is momentary and light compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. Hope. Because tribulation is, is a reality, and we're called to, to persevere, to, to push through in those things. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not strange. It's normal. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Again, rejoice now because the, the, the party's really coming. The rejoicing in exaltation when, when we see him as he is and, the, and we are glorified with him. That is again what we keep our hope and our focus on. The, that anchor, sure and steadfast. And... He said that devoted to prayer, different Greek word than we saw back in verse 10. This speaks of, of unrelenting, unwavering, even to the point of being stubborn. 
in our prayer. And I, when I look at this, yes, to be praying for one another, but when I look at this and understand the context as we're looking at love and love for one another, guys, we need to be intensely passionate about praying for each other, interceding for one another, because we all go through it, don't we? Every day, we're, we experience things that come our way that, that can cause us to be discouraged, that can even, can even bring doubt. And we need to be on our knees for one another, interceding and praying for each other. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Praying for each other. Persevering in prayer for one another as we persevere in tribulation alongside one another. Well, lastly, verse 13 speaks of love's generosity. Devoted to prayer, yes, but contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Contributing. Very similar to a word that most of us know in, in, in our dealings with the word of God. Koinonia means fellowship. Koinonio, or yeah, koinonio means to share in, and koinonio is the word that says here contributing, sharing in. Again, the idea of fellowshipping with one another and sharing in. Notice the needs of the saints. Speaking of fellow believers, the family of God. And we go back, and it's, it's outlined for us in Acts chapter 2. Speaking of the early church, it says this, that in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread, having meals together, and prayer. They continually devoted themselves to those things, studying the word of God, fellowshipping together, eating together, and praying together. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, just blown away. They talk about the miracles and the great things that happened. And it talked about how they shared everything with one another as there was need. Day by day, continuing in, in one mind, praising God as he continued to add to their number. But it spoke that they did all of this stuff together. They did life together. Guys, that's what we're called to do. As Christians, if belonging to the body of Christ for you is this, coming to church for an hour and a half a week and checking that off of your, your to-do list for the week, you are missing so much of what God has for you. And by the way, you're robbing all of us too. We need you. We need each other. That's why this is such an important thing. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I, I love this, uh, but when we studied through Hebrews, uh, that stimulate one another. That word literally means irritate. 
Do you like to irritate people? If you do, here's the biblical way to do it. <laughs> Encourage each other. Coming alongside each other. Anybody else already fail to keep your New Year's resolution? To lose weight, exercise, whatever that. I was talking to Christina yesterday. I said, honey, you want to go, go work out? I was heading out to the garage to, to go work out. You want to go work out? No, no, not, not today. And then I said, do you want me to quit asking? She said, no. no. I said, good, because I wasn't going to. I'm going to keep, keep poking, <laughs> irritating one another, stimulating one another to love and good deeds, coming alongside each other, encouraging each other. We can't do that if we forsake the gathering together. He calls on us here to contribute to the needs of the saints. Guys, you can't know the needs if you don't know the saints. We have to, we have to get to know each other. We, we really, the, the announcement videos that we have at the beginning, I hope that those aren't things you tolerate. I hope they, that you pay attention. We have a lot of things going on here, and that's on purpose. It's all designed around ways that we can get together other than Sunday mornings. So that we can fellowship together. The, we have a time on Saturday nights and we're going to be watching. We're going to have some ideas of some different ways that we can encourage more fellowship out on our patio. But let me encourage you today. It is a beautiful morning, by the way. Would you grab a cup of coffee afterwards and find somebody in your row that you don't know and say, hey, you want to go have a cup of coffee out by, the, out by the fountain? It's a beautiful place to go grab a cup of coffee and get to know somebody that sits around you every week that maybe you remember their name. As we all have, all have gifts. We talked of this last week, spiritual gifts we've been given. We all have time. We all have gifts, talents. We all have we all have treasures. We all have those types of things. And we are called as a body to find out how we can encourage one another, how we can bless one another, how we can be generous with one another. I've heard it said that communism says what's yours is mine. Capitalism says what's mine is mine. Christianity says what's mine is yours. And again, what if we all lived that way? What if we all took that to heart and genuinely Live that way. Well, the first part of verse 13 in generosity speaks of contributing to the needs of, of, of saints, Christians, those you already know. Practicing hospitality, interestingly, deals with a different aspect of that. Practicing literally means to pursue, which means you don't sit around and wait for it. You're on the offensive. You're out looking. You're out trying to find where that is. And hospitality deals with dealing with strangers. The, in that culture, at that time, people would be traveling often, and you didn't, I mean, you didn't travel hundreds and hundreds of miles a day by car. No, you walked, and when you got tired, you found the next place by. And a lot of those places didn't have hotels. If they did, they were largely full. So Christians were called on to open up their homes to others as they came through. And again, the body of Christ, Calvary Chapel surprise, as you see people that you don't know, you see people that may be visiting us, strangers. Pursue. Go and talk to them. Encourage them. They might be brand new just because in a, in a body that God is blessed as, as large as this, there's probably people, it happens to me all the time. How long have you been attending? Oh, six months. Oh, 
I'm sorry, I, first time that we've had a chance to, to meet, but there's a chance it could be somebody's first time here. Welcome them. Hospitality. Well, we're going we're gonna to continue next week here moving on through the outline again because this is, this is I think, very important as we look at, at love as to, because it is what we are to be defined by, right? And we've looked at love's sincerity. We've looked at the love's humility, love's intensity, love's tenacity, love's generosity. But guys, I would be remiss if we left it there because, again, this is not something we can generate in ourselves. We need to look at love's epitome for a second. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to see how that was displayed. We look at the cross. It tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The epitome of agape love. And again, 1 John chapter 4 gives us some great insight for us as, as believers, how this now comes through us. Notice he says in verse nine, by this the love of God was, note, manifested in us. God's love, agape love, manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. The almighty, eternal king of kings and lord of lords, the risen Lord and savior Jesus Christ lives in you and lives in me. In this is love, he continues, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Isn't that, doesn't that just make sense? If, if God loved us that much, <laughs> is it too much to ask for him to say, hey, would you allow me to love you through you, allow to love one another through you. The too much to, for him to say, guys, you show that love to each other. We know John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 3.16 says this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Again, him living through us. It's not about imitation. It's about impartation. The risen King of kings and Lord of lords in us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Would you please stand? Let's pray. We'll prepare our hearts this morning for communion. Let's let the Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts today. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I beg you this morning, would you, would you give your life to him? Would you follow him? It's the only thing that makes sense. The world will try to convince you that, that you can do this on your own. There's many ways to heaven that you can just be a good person. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
He made a way for us, though. He suffered and died in our place. He took the full penalty for our sin, but it's a matter of you receiving that gift. Would you please pray with me? If that is you right now, it's a matter of going before God humbly in your heart, and you're just saying, God, I am a sinner. I confess my sin to you, and I ask that you would come into my life now and that you would wash away my sin that you would give me this gift of eternal life. I confess that I am a sinner. I turn from that. I turn to you today, Jesus. Do what only you can do, and that is save me. God, I pray that you would take the seed of your perfect gospel message and plant it in hearts today. Draw people to yourself. God, we thank you. As those that have been redeemed by our precious Lord and Savior, by his precious blood. We thank you for the love that that you have showered upon us, the love that you have demonstrated for us in dying in our place, even when we wanted nothing to do with you. We thank you for the, the love that you are, God. Lord, we ask that supernaturally again today, you would stir within our hearts that love for one another. Lord, we recognize the fact that we can't do it on our own. We need you, but we we give you the freedom. Please, Lord, we surrender to you our lives. Do with us what you would today. God, we, we confess our desperate need for you. Again, if you are here today and you have strayed away, you have lagged behind, you have become lukewarm, would you answer, he's knocking? Come back to him, repent. Come back, fan into flame that that ember that is still there. That's his desire for you today as well. Lord God, we thank you, we praise you, we surrender again to you.